This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. The Saskatchewan Rush opened the 2017 season at home with a banner night. The Georgia Swarm are 3-0, and Jordan Hall will stop by to talk about it. Buffalo puts up 21 on Vancouver. Calgary defeats Colorado. And a huge shout-out to Chris Hogan. All that and more on OTCB. What is going on, lacrosse fans? Welcome back to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. As always, I'm Teddy Jenner. What's going on? Thanks for stopping by. We are four weeks through the National Lacrosse League season, and the Georgia Swarm are the number one team in the NLL. I will repeat, the Georgia Swarm are the number one team in the National Lacrosse League. It's crazy. It's a little bit mind-blowing. And altogether awesome at the same time. Because we talked about it after the first weekend of the year. This year has just kind of been flipped on its head. The New England Black Wolves are 0-3. Buffalo just finally won their first game. um, Saskatchewan just won their first game. The only thing that is kind of normal is Calgary and Colorado playing really close games. And that happened this past weekend. There's no Dane Smith right now. He's on the injured reserve. And yet Buffalo still puts up 21. I... I love this year in the National Lacrosse League. Uh, As you heard off the top, Jordan Hall from the Swarm will stop by uh, to chat. The Surrey, B.C. native who's now a transplanted Baltimorean. I don't know if that's right. Baltimorean? Baltimoreite? Either one sounds good to me. Um, But Jordan Hall now lives in Baltimore. I was able to catch up with him on Tuesday. I have a good chat about uh, his time in the National Lacrosse League, the trade that sent him down to Georgia. So I'll let you hear that interview in a little bit. But let's start. Let's actually, you know what? A couple things. Um, email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Uh, on Twitter, at Off the Crossbar. Shout out Chris Hogan. If you don't know the Chris Hogan story, you're probably not watching a lot of sports on the weekends. Chris Hogan is a wide receiver for the New England Patriots, and he absolutely torched the Pittsburgh Steelers with the help of some guy named Tom Brady. Hogan's bounced around the NFL between a few teams. He's picked up the nickname uh, 7-Eleven because he's always open. And he was always open. In the divisional championship game, the conference championship game in the NFL this weekend for the Patriots over the Steelers for nine catches, 180 yards, and two touchdowns. Now you might be saying, why the heck are you talking about a football player on a lacrosse podcast? Well, it just so happens that Chris Hogan played more college lacrosse than he did college football. He played four years of lacrosse at Penn State. One year of football at Monmouth College. And as mentioned, he kind of bounced around the NFL a little bit. Was in Miami, I think. Was in Buffalo. And now he's going to a Super Bowl as one of the hottest receivers in the NFL. And just an incredible story. Now, did you know? And I didn't know this until it was brought to my attention. Did you know that Chris Hogan is a Thompson Brothers-sponsored athlete. There's a video of him walking into the stadium for their game on Sunday, and he walks past the camera, and the camera pans following him, and he's wearing a TBL backpack. I kid you not. Now, we are efforting Chris Hogan. I was hoping to have him today. 
Um, however, he's a little bit busy. But my people have got in touch with his people, and we're going to try and make something work. Um, so hopefully we will have it next week on the show. And if not, maybe we can get him after the Super Bowl. But we are efforting him. Uh, there have been some incredible stories been put out um, about his time in college um, and why you know being a dual-sport athlete makes him uh, just a hot commodity and a great asset and, you know, the links of how Bill Belichick can turn just, you know, small white guys into prolific NFL receivers. There's some great reads out there. So if you got some time after all this is done here on OTCB, um, go check out some of the articles that are out there on Chris Hogan and Bill Belichick. Um, there's also a great article on Bill Belichick's daughter, uh, who's a women's field lacrosse coach which is another incredible story. And we all know the relationship between Bill Belichick and Paul Rabel. Um, so there's lacrosse has some really cool connections with the New England Patriots. So as much as I don't really want to, I'm kind of pulling for the Pats for this uh, for the Super Bowl in two weeks. I don't want to, but I'd love to see Chris Hogan win it. I'd also love to see Matty Ice win it. But That's for another day and a completely different podcast. And this is a lacrosse podcast, so we will talk as much lacrosse stuff as I can expunge from my brain over the next little while here on OTCB. Um, Like I said, it's been a crazy start to the National Lacrosse League season. The Swarm are atop the East. The Calgary Roughnecks are atop the West. And we're going to start there um, with a little bit of weekend wrap-up. Uh, Of course, I was calling the game down in Colorado, and it was a typical Colorado-Calgary contest. Uh, I was, you know, kind of doing some show prep and and fact-checking before the game. Eight of 14 games since 2012 leading up to last Friday's contest had gone to overtime during the regular season. Uh, The last four regular season games at the Pepsi Center, Center that had been played had gone to overtime. The last time the two teams had played the game went to overtime. And everything kind of looked like this game was going to go to overtime, even when Colorado jumped out, or sorry, when Calgary jumped out to a quick lead, 6-2 at one point, chasing Dylan Ward from the net. In came Alex Bouquet. Um, He did a great job filling in, uh, you know, playing two and a half quarters, coming in cold. You know, if it wasn't for that opening stretch in that first quarter where Calgary kind of jumped out, all over Colorado, the game probably would have been different. But whenever those two teams get together, uh, you're in for a bit of a treat. And I hope everybody that was able to watch that game enjoyed it because it was uh, one heck of a game to call. It's going to be interesting to see what the National Cross League does with Greg Harnett. Uh, if you didn't happen to see the game, uh, he laid a very, very vicious hit Um, on Jeremy Noble, and not vicious in malicious, but just the impact of the hit. Uh, He was given a five-minute major, sorry, a five-minute match for charging. And this will be the third straight game that he's played in, going back to the preseason game. He had to miss the first game due to suspension. And then the last two games, the one in Vancouver, and now this one in Colorado, where he has received a five-minute penalty. And this will be now his, I believe, third major of the regular season. And you're, you would definitely expect the NLL and Brian Lemon to look into that. Especially since Calgary and Colorado go back at it in Calgary this weekend. No update on the status of Jeremy Noble. He didn't come back in that game after taking the hit. And I saw him after the game. Uh, He looked okay, but you never can tell as a guy who's had his bell rung a few times. You can look fine and not be fine at the same time. But for everybody's sake, we hope that Jeremy's going to be okay and that he'll be able to play this weekend. Because, honestly, that Colorado offense lost a little little bit of its jump without Noble. Uh, He had three goals. He was really controlling that offense along with Callum Crawford and Zach Greer. But once they lost him, and at one point they were without Jacob Rue for a chunk of time, 
And so Callum Crawford was really out there on his own as the lone righty along with they were sending Joey Capito out for a few shifts, who actually had a pretty good game. He scored two goals right off faceoffs in transition to help Colorado get back in that game and stay in that game. But you could tell that offense got tired late in that game because they just didn't have the mustard on that right side because there was no Noble, and they were basically down to Crawford and Rue. And then it looked like their defense got tired. And a lot of that due to uh, the way that Calgary runs its transition. A lot of that was due to Calgary getting multiple resets. But Calgary ends up coming out with a 14-12 victory. Uh, they move to 2-1. and one, And they take the lead by a half game on both Vancouver and Colorado, who are at 2-2. Two and two. Saskatchewan is at 1-2. and two, And they won their first game of the year in front of 15,000 people at SaskTel Center. And that's not even the crazy part of what happened in Saskatoon. And I didn't know how it was possible that it, that it happened, but there was a 50-50 draw in Saskatoon Saturday night of $101,000. Let that sink in. You pay $20 to go to a game. You throw in 20 bucks for 50-50 tickets. You buy a couple pops, maybe a hot dog, maybe a t-shirt for the kids. So say you spend $60. Imagine going home up 101k. Unbelievable. So I talked to Lee Genier, president of the Rush, and I said, how the heck is that possible? Because if there's 15,000 people in attendance and your 50-50 is $100,000-plus, that's like everybody spending like a couple hundred dollars or so on a 50-50 ticket, and that's a bit much. I can't really see that happening. And so I asked him if it was an ongoing thing or if it was just a weird scenario one night thing. And he said that it was actually a carryover from their last game. Nobody had claimed it. And so that's why it was so big. But still, even if you rolled over every 50-50 from one arena every night, you'd be hard-pressed to get to 100 grand. Something's right in the water in Saskatoon. And I don't know what it is, but it's working. And it is crazy to see it doing so well. Especially when, even though the NLL is saying attendance numbers are up, you look at Buffalo. They had their home opener Saturday night. They had 12,000 people in Buffalo. And Buffalo is usually a 14 to 16 kind of city. Colorado's last couple nights have been down. Calgary, while it's making a bit of an upturn, they're still in the 8 to 11 kind of range. And that's kind of where they've, they've been pushing upwards of 10, 11,000 the last couple years, ever since the Flames took over. The Rush are just an anomaly. Rock numbers seem to be down, especially from the glory days. Rochester's numbers are down. New England hasn't played a home game yet. And I don't really want to talk about Georgia, but there's no way there's been 3,500 people for their two home games in each home game. I don't buy it. I've seen pictures. It's not even close. I've talked to some players. They said there's no way there was 2,000 people there this past weekend. I know they don't want to start moving teams. But if there was a team to move and they're 3-0 and they're getting less than 2,000 fans in attendance in their second year, maybe you bite a bullet. And I would hate to see Arlotta have to move a team, but I hated when he moved his team in the first place. We're going to talk more Swarm in a minute. Uh, the other game is the Buffalo hosting Vancouver game. And there was no Dane Smith. I thought Buffalo coming in, they're 0-2. Uh, 
Even though they're at home, I thought Vancouver had their number. I thought Buffalo was going to be right for the pickings. And it was a back-and-forth game, but Buffalo really turned that game on its end in the fourth quarter and were able to pull away from the Vancouver Stell to take that game by an absolutely outrageous 21-15 to score. They were able to outscore Vancouver 6-1 in the fourth quarter to pull away, but just the amount of goals alone of 36 goals is huge. But guess how many shots Vancouver had in total? They had 80 shots. 59 of them hit the target. And Buffalo was only like, I think, had 76 shots. Like, these guys were putting the ball on net. David DeRuscio got the start for Buffalo, went the distance. Ty Belanger came in relief of Tyler Richards, who let in seven on 13 shots and only lasted a quarter and a bit. But the story, other than those 21 goals, hello and what's up, Steve Priolo. Now, we all know Prio can score in transition. He likes to run the floor. But he dropped six points, three goals, three assists, and was a usual man-beast out there for the Bandits. And surprisingly, it was a fairly clean game. Only nine penalties called the entire night. Two of them were to Vancouver. And Buffalo went two for two. It's been crazy this new refing system. And we talked about it last week. And I think it's going to be something we're going to continually talk about for the rest of the year because it's having a dramatic effect on games. Colorado came into their fourth game of the year with just um, 36 penalty minutes. And they had 24 on Friday alone almost doubling their minutes in one game. And, you know, we talked about it on the broadcast with Jamie Shuchuk and John Gallant, is the third ref calling more because they're able to focus on more things? Or are guys trying to one-up each other? Are some refs trying to steal the show? I don't think the latter is the case. But sometimes, you know, makeup calls get made. If, if, you know, there was the instance of holding the stick call against Colorado and then pretty much the next shift, another holding the stick call was made against Calgary. Now, makeup calls are bound to happen, but are we going to see more of that with another set of eyes? And it's just, it's wild to see some of the lack of penalty minutes being called And then on the other side, how many penalties are being called? And for the most part, I truly think the referees have done a pretty good job. And I think they're getting a lot of the focus calls right. I still think they're missing a few of them. Um, For example, the hit uh, from Greg Harnett on Joe Capito uh, that knocked Capito into the boards from behind, and he probably could have broken his wrist. Luckily, he didn't. Um, but that, that was a call that just wasn't made. And then, obviously, we've already talked about the other Harnett hit, hit on Noble where he got the major for charging, the match even. And I just don't know if it should have been. But I digress. I'm not a referee. I don't know the rule book inside and out. Um, and I know Brian Lemon and, and his crew have been really focusing with the refs and talking with the refs about things. And, again, I've seen, I haven't seen all of the games. Obviously, the ones I've seen in person, um, I've had a better vantage point, and you can kind of get a better idea of what's being called when you're actually there and you can see everything. But I really think the referees have done a pretty good job this year. And the guys are going to have to adjust because you're not able to get away with everything. 
And now guys are starting to have to realize that they're going to, like I said, they're going to have to adjust their games. Like how many holding the stick calls were made or holding calls or illegal picks calls have been made over the last couple weeks of the regular season? Referees are focusing on these things more, and you can't get away with everything that you used to. It's changing the game. You know what else is changing the game? The Georgia Swarm. And they're putting up 18, 18, and 14 against three teams that were talked about as having the best defenses in the National Lacrosse League. Saskatchewan, Buffalo, New England. And they're just roasting teams. They're doing it with the Thompsons and Randy Stotts. They're doing it with Shane Jackson. And my next guest, Jordan Hall. Hall had his third goal of the year. He's got 19 points. He's averaging 6.33 points per game. And this is on a team that doesn't have Johnny Palace and doesn't have Jesse King. But they have a lot of guys that love to share the ball and a lot of young bodies that just like to go out and have some fun. 15 left to shoot. Jordan Hall works around a defender. Goes inside, shoots, and scores! The old man going out airborne there. Jordan Hall's third goal here was a nifty one as he had to work around a couple of defenders and then worked over the right shoulder again of Evan Kirk. That was Halsey's first of the night, third of the year. A diving effort that he brought back short side on Evan Kirk, his former teammate with the New England Black Bulls, where he spent one season. He's been in the NLL for 10 seasons. He was drafted first overall back in 2007 by the New York Saints. He was with the club as they moved to Orlando. He was then traded to Rochester where he spent two years, got flipped to Philadelphia for two years, went back to Rochester for two years, got traded to New England in the second part of 2016, and now he's a member of the Georgia Swarm, and I think he's okay with it. When I caught up with him earlier on Tuesday, uh, I asked him, is it strange to see his old team at 0-3 and his new team at 3-0? and you know, preseason-wise, I don't know if either team saw being 3-0 and or 0-3. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the National Lacrosse League kind of changes all the time, and it's only a couple bounces between being 0-3 or 3-0. and But, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be on the 3-0 and side of that. That's for sure. Um, was the, was the, the deal a bit of a surprise when it happened during the offseason for you? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it always seems like uh, I've been traded a few times. I got a, a decent helmet collection at the house now, but <laughs> yeah. uh, um, it, it always seems like you now uh, everybody figures you find out through you know GM calls you, then the other GM calls you. Sometimes that happens, and uh, other times, you know, when I got traded to the Black Wolves, uh, it was like Kevin Crowley texted me like, "Welcome aboard." So you <laughs> yeah. never really. You never really know how you're going to find out. And to be honest, every single time I've been traded uh, or moved in the league, it's it's shocking. You never yeah. really expect it or, or know what's going on. And I had talked to the Black Wolves, and, you know, they had, you know, I wasn't sure if, if with work and everything else, just, you know, am I going to commit? And I, I travel alone from Baltimore, so it's kind of like a, a lonely process. But, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, it was one of those things where the Black Wolves, you know, hey, we're making a big push next year. We really want you to play again. I don't know if you're if you're thinking about staying around. We really want you know, you know, yeah. to make a decision before the draft. And then, you know, I was like, yeah, you know what? I think I'll stay. I'll play. And they're like, great, we're trading you. So, uh, <laughs> so, I mean, it was interesting to you know get convinced to play and then get traded, but uh, yeah. Uh, I'm, ha- I'm happy to land in Georgia, and, and it's been a, a great group of guys and a great team to end up on. It, it's a bit of a fortuitous spot for you to be, obviously, with Jesse King going down injured. You had to make a move to go get a player like yourself. And, and coming in as a veteran guy, was it tough for you to, to fit into that locker room of a group of guys that had sort of been together growing up for a couple of years? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, uh, it's, it sucks for Jesse. I've been there, uh, yeah. battled some ACL tears before. He's a super talented player. So, uh, 
you know, come coming in, Eddie and Chai, who I've, I've uh, played for before, um, I always worked well under them. I think they have a yeah. great leadership style. So um, I was happy with that side of things, knowing who was coaching and, and being a part of that. And then mm-hmm. uh, the team itself, just playing against them the year before, if you didn't, if you if you didn't lose to them, you felt a little bit nervous about them the whole game, just because they had so many guys that could score. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely interesting uh, popping into that lineup. And I know some of the guys had played together, but it really is kind of a a mash of really talented young players, and you know, I guess guys like me and Pooley are are, are just there to kind of. You know, I don't know. We're like chaperones to the party right now. The, the group that <laughs> yeah. <they have. laughs> um, when you watch the Thompsons, is it? Do you just have that like awe sense sometimes of some of the things and, and the ability that they have of knowing each other so well? Yeah, I mean, there's a. I've played with you know I got Casey Powell in his prime and I played with yeah. Junior in his prime and I. Uh, you know, I've played with a lot of good players through the years when they've kind of been at their peak. And um, you know, there's a couple guys. I mean, it's not just them. There's Randy who's on the team. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of good players on the team that do some things that, you know, even like everybody on offense, sometimes you kind of poke your head up and you're just like, oh, wow, that was really nice. Yeah. I don't know how yeah. you developed that, but that was a really <laughs> nice goal. Um, yeah. So, uh, and, and the nice thing is, um, you know, I think everybody – Everybody wants to win, so you have some players that are very, very, very good. But I don't know if I've been on a an offense where the ball moves as well as this offense, and yeah. there's that many good players. So it, it's it's been it's been fun uh, these first few games. Yeah, you know, you put up 18 the first two games. You put up 14. Uh, goals aren't an issue for you guys, and it's and it's not a matter of of I want the ball. It's let's get everybody the ball. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it's done by committee, and like I said, I think everybody does have, even though it's a young group, I think, you know, there's always, you play on a lot of teams, and then occasionally you get, you know, on a team, and there's the guy that's kind of head hung after a win, but he only scored one goal, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't think there's any of that, so it, it is a really unselfish group of players on the offense. Uh, you guys have shut down, you know, some of the best offenses in the league to start the year in Saskatchewan and Buffalo. And New England, what can you say about this defense that maybe a lot of people aren't giving enough credit to? Yeah, I think I think part of that is you know it's a, uh, a defense by committee. You know, I think uh, some people you look at it and there, there's not like you know you don't have a Rubish and you don't have maybe even like a, a Priolo or like just like a a big shutdown D guy mm-hmm. like just about every other team seems to have like the one guy. Um, and I think it's a defense by committee, so I think it doesn't get a, a lot of respect. Um, but, it, you know, I think Pooley coming in has been a big part of that. He's He's been an anchor back there. I think any time you see a defense, uh, there's two things that typically happen. I think one of them is kind of phasing out of the league. Um, if you had a team and then you brought in a tough guy that kind of everybody played bigger, but that doesn't yeah. really work anymore in the NLL, or you bring in a, a, a stud goalie, and everybody has a little bit more trust and a little bit more relaxing that if you let that outside shot go and play good positional defense, you, you can trust your goalie. And I think that's what Pooley's been able to do. Yeah, I, I, that was the one, you know, bringing you in was huge because it was no veteran presence. But bringing Mikey in to play between the pipes, I thought was a, a fantastic move by you guys. Just because, like you said, it's that calming presence for the defense, knowing that that long outside shot is going to get saved or he's going to be able to control a rebound now and then. And Pooley gives that to you guys out the back door. Yeah, if you, if you don't have it, you can feel it. Um, mm-hmm. Even off, even if you're on offense, you, you look back on defense and, you know, you see a couple players in the league wind up and you're kind of nervous as it's happening. And, and I think we've had that. I think Pooley's got everybody's trust right now. Uh, you were drafted first overall back in 2007. That's, you know, 10 years since you've been in the league. Does it feel like it's been that long? Uh, no, it's actually funny when I got, when I got picked up, I guess, the, I think it was the second year Patty Merrill came in or maybe it was the first year, but Patty Merrill came in and I used to bug him cause he was old and he still is old <laughs> and give him a hard time. But, um, uh, he always would, he would always kind of give me a sly smile and say it happens in a hurry and, you know, credit to him still, you know, kicking around. It, yeah. it does. It really, it really, really does. It, it happens, you know, all of a sudden you're, 
you're training for the next season and then you poke your head up and it's been another season and you kind of just get into this routine and um no it it happened really really fast and uh i think everybody that has in the league you know you kind of enjoy it while you can to the young yeah. guys is no, what you're telling no them. doubt um yeah since, since that first year in new york uh, when you're with the saints to now you're with in georgia you've You've kind of traveled up and down the East Coast of the U.S. in your career in the National Cross League, but how has the NLL changed? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I gave it. A, I was talking to a, a swarm reporter earlier, and he and he just mentioned that uh, a little little something about what he attributes to being in the league for so long. And I think a big part, one thing that I saw, um, you know, you looked around the locker room. And there was the occasional guy in the locker room. Like, it wasn't everybody, but, you know, one or two guys that maybe were having a cigarette after a game or, you know, <laughs> yeah. having a, yeah. having a, having, you know, really not look, watching what they're eating or stretching or working out, but they just right. show up and they were pretty good and they play. And that's definitely one thing that's changed. Um, mm-hmm. I know, I know the other thing that the league's made a big push for, I think it's been smart, is, uh, you know, they, they have started to crack down on high hits. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I I really like, you know, going to a lacrosse game. And I think there is a role and a, and a spot for a fight because I think otherwise you end up in a situation kind of like a field lacrosse where you could have a D guy that, you know, everybody's like, oh, he's a big, tough guy. Well, he just flashes a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not mm-hmm. really being the same as being a big, tough guy and, and playing tough. So, I think there there is a spot for fighting in the sport, and and it should be a part of it. Um, but I think they're being smart about it and how they crack down on you know high hits and five minutes late in the game and things like that, trying to take the dumb stuff out. So yeah. uh, I would say that I mean it's good because I do remember early in the career, you know, and and one of the reasons I I've moved away from the WLA it was like you'd get a high hit, your helmet would end up in the Mm-hmm. in the stands and you oh, kind of yeah. look across at the ref. You'd look across at the ref and you'd be like, <laughs> all right, that's his warning. Play yeah. on. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's nice. Well, let that, that one slide. The next one I'll call. Yeah. 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 Crazy. Um, but we talked about that, the movement up and down the coast and now you're, now you're in Georgia, um, a market that the NLL is trying to get into. Um, it hasn't, you know, kicked off like they've really wanted to. Is it tough as a player um, to look in the stands, knowing you're a winning team, and, and not see the support from the hometown crowd. Yeah, I, you know what? I think uh, I've been in this league and the MLL and the WLA, and, and I, you know, we. In all fairness, you grow up, you know, and you're never playing in a packed barn. You know yeah. what I mean? You're you're never playing in it. So, I think you go out and you play for the love of the game. Um, it's disappointing in the fact that you do want the sport that you love to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think from game to game, it, I mean, it doesn't affect me. Maybe it does affect some guys, but I don't think it yeah. affects me. It's just, you, you're, you're, you're almost just more hurt that you have an owner that wants to make it work and wants to spend the money and, you know, you're doing your best out there that the league itself isn't kind of progressing the way that you, right. you want yeah. it to. So, you know, you asked me before about the league going in certain directions. You hope that that changes so that you know it's not like there's some top teams that that sell out and some bottom teams that that are struggling with fans so i hope that's something that can change but i don't think it, it hurts you game to game it's just you mm-hmm. want the league to do well so it's a little bit disheartening as a guy that kind of has come from a lacrosse hotbed of bc and you've relocated to, to baltimore for the last few years now which is in its own right a bit of a hotbed for for lacrosse how have you seen the growth of the game along the east coast the indoor game more importantly yeah, so I've, I've done some stuff here. Uh, you know, I've worked with uh, Kevin Crowley, who's now a Philly transplant. He's done some stuff in the Philadelphia mm-hmm. area. Um, and a couple of the American guys that have gone through the NLL, like uh, Joe Sanowski, um, yep. another a guy who played for the Swarm. So they everybody's kind of setting up some box lacrosse stuff. And our coaches were down at the U.S. Lacrosse Convention this past weekend um, giving a speech for U.S. Lacrosse uh, on behalf of the NLL. Um, so I think there is. I think U.S. lacrosse is starting to buy into it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think it was something that started in 20, 2006 when we when we won the world championships, and then progressively, you know, at the time I think I was one of eight or ten um, Division One uh, lacrosse players from Canada playing at the time. Now it's 
you know, every team has a roster. Me and my dad used yeah. to go down and obviously watch all the, you know, have a look at all the other Canadians that were at Division One schools and see how they're doing. And mm-hmm. now it's almost too hard to track because there's yeah, so no many doubt. Canadians down in the U.S. So um, I think it is starting to grow. Um, you know, play certain areas. Uh, I think it's going to grow a little bit faster. But I think there is a little bit of that, a little bit of bias. There's a lot of club programs down here that I, I think they just don't understand it. And I think that mm-hmm. with education, with U.S. lacrosse starting to push it and things like that. I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna catch like fire, and I think it won't be long before you start seeing some NCAA Americans that have had real box lacrosse experience. And to be honest, that's kind of scary for you know being, yeah. being a Canadian and wanting Canada to do well. I think that is something that would really um, benefit the U.S. And, and make them a lot better in in a lot of ways. This weekend, you guys get back at it against uh, the Vancouver Stealth in your bit of your own stomping grounds. It's always fun to come back and play uh, out west. Yeah, yeah. Anytime you get to come home, you get to uh, have a couple of my old Surrey Stickman buddies hopefully come oh, yeah. out and catch the game. And, um, you know, I'll get to see the family and the friends and everything like that. It's obviously awesome to get home, maybe have some uh, ketchup chips while I'm back. <laughs> and, uh, a and go to home with? Yeah, exactly. Go to the go to Cactus Club or something like that. So I'm oh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. Do you uh do you get any of your buddies to wear your old Stickman jerseys and that gross teal color to the games? <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't convinced anybody that actually. I, I might have to dig one out. Give it to uh give it to the brother. There you go. Did Did you mind wearing teal? No, I never. I mean, I never had an issue. We uh <laughs> the only. <laughs> The only time it sucked is when we were all intermediate age and we were playing uh, Burnaby and Coquitlam, and then you know, then you just got yeah. beat up and beat on during that time frame. <laughs> yeah, I know those days. I know those days. Yeah, um, you're, you're off to a hot start. Um, 19 points, three games, just over six a game. Uh, what's been the biggest strength of your game this year? Do you think? Uh, I mean, honestly, I mean, you look at it. I've got I've got five goals. That's great. I'm really happy with that. But uh, it's a lot of assists. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, I, we we swing the ball a ton. Um, everybody's unselfish. I think we have a lot of players that have a lot of points right now. Um, you know, I think it'll even out through the year that we're going to have a ton of guys. And I hope it does. I hope we have a ton of guys that are, you know, five point. Um, uh, a game guy. So yeah. right now, I think it, it's just worked out that I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of hot. I guess it's it's swung through me a few times, but you know my uh, I just want to get wins, and you know I'd be I always look at stat lines like loose balls and things like that. Like I, I'd be very happy getting a hundred loose balls again, as opposed to you know if we're talking at the end of the year and Jordan, you you kind of slowed down a little bit, but maybe I got yeah. a bunch of loose balls and helped us win some more games. That's never a bad thing to have a guy that wants that kind of role on a team. Uh, Jordan, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. Uh, you're a fantastic ambassador for the sport no matter where you are. Best of luck the rest of the year, and especially this weekend in Vancouver. Thanks a lot. There is Jordan Hall, a former BC Junior A-League MVP with the Surrey Stickman. Their jerseys were gross. No offense. However, I do know a thing about gross jerseys. My intermediate A team was called the Mansell Bobcats, and we also wore a hideous shale of shade of teal slash aqua blue. It was gross. I don't think teal is really a color that works. I know San Jose does it, but that's a different kind of teal. Like I know fashion and colors. Again, this is a lacrosse podcast. Um, Jordan's Georgia Swarm are in Vancouver this weekend to take on the Stealth, and it'll be the second time this year that the Vancouver Stealth will play back-to-backs. They're in Saskatoon on Friday night to take on the Rush at SaskTel Center. Then they'll have to hop on a plane first thing the next morning, get back to Vancouver to take on the Georgia Swarm at the Langley Events Center, and that's never easy, but we saw them do it Um, In the opening weekend of the year, or the second weekend of the year, where they were in Calgary and then went on the road to Colorado and came away with two huge wins, this would be another great weekend for them to come away with two big victories. And we didn't really talk, we talked a lot about Buffalo in that, in the earlier segments about their game in Vancouver. And Vancouver is a team that has been putting up some solid numbers um, since the opening weekend of the year, 12, 15 10 and 15, and they're 2 and 2. 
And they're right around that 12-goal number where coaches would really like to see their teams. And the old adage in the NLL, if you can score 12, you should be able to win. And they've been right around that number. And, you know, the, t- the game that they scored more than 12, they're 50-50. The games they scored 12 and under, they're 50-50. So take your pick. Choose your poison on whether 12 goals is the magic number or not. But it's going to be a tough weekend going to Saskatoon, then having to play Georgia at home. Um, a Saskatoon team that's still very much angry after an 0-2 start. And they're always tough to play at home. But Vancouver was one of the teams that had their number in Saskatoon last year. And then they have to come back home to play the high-flying swarm, which obviously isn't an easy task for anybody. But they're starting to get healthy, are the stealth. This past weekend, Garrett Billings played his first game of the year for the stealth. And, you know, he kind of fit in and did what he does. He chipped in with a goal and four assists, five points. That's kind of what you'd expect from the 2017 version of Garrett Billings. He's going to be a pass-first guy. And I'm okay with that because that's what Reese Dutch and Corey Small and Logan Schuss need. They need a guy who's going to distribute them the ball. And that's what Garrett Billings can do. But the move that was made prior to the game to allow Garrett Billings to get a roster spot was somewhat interesting. And they released Thomas McKee or Tommy McKee, who was an American kid that they picked up as a free agent. He was part of Colorado last year. Uh, He played in one game for him, had a goal and two assists. And, you know, was a versatile guy for them and did the job. But he was never going to last once all those bodies got healthy. And we talked about it. We talked about this at nausea, but the opening part of the year is what was Vancouver going to do when Billings, Ray, and Conway were were healthy? Well, Ray and Conway are, sorry, Ray and Billings are back. Conway's still not quite there yet. They activated James Ray. They activated Garrett Billings. And to make room for those guys, they released Thomas McKee, and then they released Keegan Ball, who had played in all three games for them, had four goals and eight assists, and the, and Doug Locker, who was in a bit of a numbers game, unfortunately had to say thank you and goodbye. Now, if there's a team that needs a right-hander, Keegan Ball is available. And he's serviceable. And you could probably get him pretty cheap. He's a Western guy. Can fit into pretty much any system. Isn't a me guy. And unfortunately, like I said, got caught up in those in that number game in Vancouver. And that's just some of the tough decisions that need to be made. Curtis Hodgson was put on first level IR. And that allowed them to make some more room. But I just, it was a little bit shocking to me when they straight out released Keegan Ball. So it'll be interesting to see if anyone picks him up. Ball, that is. Um, And one thing that I learned from all these uh, Vancouver moves, because Vancouver also um, put Travis Cornwall on the second level IR, and a fan had asked me what the difference between first level and second level IR was, and I had responded and said, first level means they have to be on there for seven days. Second level is two weeks. Well, that's changed now. And the first level is four days, and the second level is 10 days. So if you ever see first level, second level IR, that's what it means. Guys have to stay on there for four days minimum on the first level, 10 days minimum on the second level. And then on the second level, they can stay there for I believe it's like 10 to 70 days. But the first level, they only get those four days, then you have to make a decision with them and move them around. So when you're flipping through the transaction wires and checking out where your favorite player is on the roster, and it says first level, second level, well, now you can kind of know. And a lot of those second levels will be retroactive to a certain date um, when the player first got injured. It's usually the last game that they played so that the timing works. Um, But yeah, so if you ever see that and you're wondering, that's what it means. 
But back to the Vancouver Stealth. If they can get some goaltending, and I didn't think goaltending was going to be an issue for them this year. I thought Tyler Richards was going to be able to give them some more minutes, um, but it's, it hasn't worked out that way. I, you know, I guess it's a good thing you could say they have Ty Belanger because when he's come in, um, he's played quite well for them. But Tyler Richards has a 13.31 goals against average. Belanger is a 13.86. Their combined save percentage is a a 72.6%. That's not really where you need your goaltending to be. And I'm not sure where they go now if if this goaltending tandem is going to continue to struggle. You know, is Brody McDonald available to go and get from Georgia, would you even want to? There are some second strings and some third strings out there that they might be able to pry away from some teams, but they have Eric Penny. Um, They released Cody Hagedorn. Adam shoots a third stringer out there. Like There's guys out there that they could try and bring in, but I don't know if there is a guy out there that they could pry away from a, a solid number two. Like, I'm talking DeRuccio, I'm talking Bouquet, I'm talking Christian Del Bianco. I'm not sure if there's a second stringer out there that Vancouver has enough that they would want to part with and could part with to get one of those goaltenders. They don't have first picks till 2020, so that's not going to happen. You're not trading Dutch. You're not trading smaller Shuss. You're not trading Durston. And you're not trading McCready. Like, you're not trading your top 5 old guys. So I don't know who you can give up to any of those teams to go and get one of their seconds if Richards and Blanchet continue to not pan out. However, they are still 2-2. Two and two. It's early days. And they're in a playoff spot. Again, early. However, I think it's going to be something we're going to have to keep an eye on. And then we'll move on. There's so much going on in the National Lacrosse League. Um, We talked about uh, Dane Smith being out for the Buffalo Bandits. Uh, Billy D. Smith was placed on the physically unable to perform list from the active roster, so he's out for an indefinite period of time. Uh, Ilya Geich was put on first-level IR. He didn't play on the weekend. John Grant Jr. Um, missed his second straight game. There's some guys that are hurt and injured. And so we're starting to see some of these young guys filter through. Zach Haywires got into the National Lacrosse League for a second straight game, scored his first NLL goal, probably could have had his second, but it was called back. We're seeing more and more guys in the 2017 or 2016 draft class make an impact in the NLL get their names on score sheets for their first career goals. And it's good to see. The game getting younger and faster is great for the product and for everybody viewing at home and in the stands. Faster is better. Before we move on to some other lacrosse stuff that's not NLL-related, there's been some interviews with the commissioner, Nick Sakevich, um, talking uh, attendance, talking NLL TV, talking expansion. It's all well and good that this news is getting out there. But I don't know if we're what kind of progress we're getting towards and seeing. I kind of talked about the attendance earlier in the show. You know, he's saying attendance numbers are up. I don't know if I believe him. And just seeing the number of people that are at these games. Um, they said they have a million emails. Or they're working towards a million emails. I find that hard to believe. I don't know what NLL TV subscriptions are. I'm going to look into that. But when you go back and think of, go back and think, like when you used to watch games on YouTube last year, and you could see the number of people viewing each game. What was the highest number you ever saw? 
Maybe playoff games, late season games, couple hundred, maybe. Somewhere around there, two, three at most. So if 300 people are watching like the only game that's on, how many subscribers do you think there possibly could be? Do you think they're in the 5,000 range of subscriptions? Do you think it's 3,000? 10,000? I find it hard to fathom that it's that high. Maybe I'm wrong. But I don't think it's that high. Because I don't think there were ever that many people watching games last year or the year before. And when games are free compared to having to pay, I don't think the numbers are actually going to increase. So I hope that the league is continuing to move in the right directions. And the commissioner continually says he's got 30 um, non-disclosure contracts with prospective owners and tenants and arenas and all these things. Uh, mostly NHL and NBA. Uh, he continually talks up Philadelphia being um, a no-brainer, uh, a must-have. You know, the talks of New York and Edmonton always sort of resurface and come around. But as he said in the one article that I read, it might have been in that Business Journal article last week, that... The window for giving teams amount of time to be ready for the 2018 season is slowly shrinking. Because one of the reasons that he said Georgia had such troubles out of the gate last year was because they didn't have a long enough time to build up the market in Georgia and in Gwinnett. And so if you're going to bring in a team... For January 2018, you know, every day you don't announce a new team. You're losing days. So we're now getting close to 11 months before the start of the new season. We don't have any announcements for teams. And he was very adamant that for 2018 he wanted to add two to five teams. I hope he does. But they need to be expansion teams, not relocation teams, because the NLL needs as much coin as they can get. But as Derek Keenan said at the beginning of the year, there's no money in the expansion, Kitty. And they're really, you know, very hush-hush on who they're talking to. You know, if there's a short list, none of that stuff is, is you know, And I'm not saying it needs to be tweeted out or anything like that, but something. Keep the fans' hopes alive because I don't really want to say this, but just in general, when you look at the interest in the NLL right now, it doesn't seem to be as high as it used to be. And maybe that's just because I'm stuck on the island. But in areas where I have seen the most fan interaction, social media doesn't seem to be that interactive for some teams. Um, the fan forums seem to be as, you know, quieting more and more. And that used to be a hotbed for fan activity. But I don't know. It's, like I said, it's the fourth week of the NLL season. We're continuing to ramp up momentum as the season goes on and the product has never been better I'll continue to say that the product on the floor has never been better and it's going to continue to improve as guys get younger and better and faster and stronger and bigger and more athletic and more creative like that's never going to change it's always going to get better but as a whole we need to Get more eyes on this sport. 
and more people in the arenas. And I know teams are trying. And I know the Board of Governors are trying, and owners and GMs and creative departments and and the front office of the NLL is trying. And they're doing all they can. So let's hope that momentum continues to build and the product, product continues to grow. Because 2017 is a big year for the National Lacrosse League. Um, with everything, full first full year under the commissioner, the new logo, this is his baby now. And we're moving wherever he takes the ship. So let's hope that it continues to go up the hill and keep the progression train going. Some other off-the-wall lacrosse news. Gary Gate was named the interim commissioner of the United States Women's Lacrosse League. Um, it's a pro-women's field lacrosse league that's in the East Coast of the United States. And Gator has been appointed the interim commissioner. He also works with Syracuse Women's University program, of course. Um, so that's some big news. Um, when you can add a name like Gary Gate as your commissioner, even if in, in, in an interim basis, uh, I think that's great progress. And he is a massive advocate for the women's game and has helped uh, revitalize that Syracuse women's program. So congratulations to Gary Gate. Uh, in BC lacrosse news, um, the couch, sorry, uh, the Thompson Okanagan, which is an interior part of the province, has been granted a BC intermediate A lacrosse team for the 2017 season. They'll either play out of the Cowichan Valley Arena or the Fraser Valley Arena, whichever one they can be in. All their games will be in that area. That was the stipulation they wanted so that they could get in to the BC Intermediate League. So that's a big step. Um, I saw some people commenting that they would like to see instead of an, one intermediate sort of all-star team from that region make an interior division, and then just have the winner of that come down. Um, I don't mind that, but this is a step in the right direction. So congratulations to all the folks up in the Thompson, Okanagan. It'll be interesting to see how that team does in the BC Intermediate A-Loop. Um, as mentioned, like I said, it's going to be a bit of an all-star, regional all-star team from um, all that cashment up there so they can pick from all the players in that area. So best of luck to them. In WLA Lacrosse news, uh, New Westminster Samville has made a bit of a shocking trade um, as they acquired Brett Mitski, Joel McCready, and Nathan Stewart from the Langley Thunder in exchange for the rights to Sean Lundstrom, plus um, two first-round picks this year, a 13th and a 20th, plus a first-rounder in 2018 and a second and fourth in 2020. So three players for seven draft picks and the rights to another player. I don't know how that is fair. I don't know how that was approved. But in the end, I think it helps both teams. Langley is going through a rebuilding process. Um, a few years ago, they were the beasts of the West. Uh, they were going to back-to-back -back Man Cups. Uh, they had a good roster of players, both West and East. But once all those Eastern players left, they took a major step back. So I think this is good for them because it allows them to get a ton of draft picks, a ton of young guys, but they give up two of their vets. Like, Brett Mitski's been there since day one. And he's been a huge part of that Langley organization, and he's one of the best young defenders in all of lacrosse right now. Everybody knows how I feel about Joel McCready. I think he's an absolute fantastic lacrosse player uh, and just a soul, soul, salt of the earth kind of guy and just a rugged little bulldog that if he's going to be able to play for New West uh, will help them quite a bit. And then Nathan Stewart is a, a young player that's sort of started to come into his own, uh, another guy that New West will look to put into their fold. But it just it, it, when I saw the trade, I was kind of shocked about it of three players for seven and the rights to another. It was just, you don't often see that many draft picks, especially three first-rounders, is phenomenal. Like, now Langley has 
I think, three or four picks in the opening round alone. And they'll get an extra pick in next year's first round as well. Um, The Victoria Shamrocks acquired the rights to Casey Jackson in exchange for a second-round pick next year. Casey Jackson, a Victoria kid, able to come back home. I think they probably could have gotten a third round for him or given up a third rounder for him, but Chris Welch made this move now. And the other sneaky move that Langley pulled off was the fact that they were able to acquire the rights to David DiRuscio from Nanaimo in exchange for a pick. Which is huge because if they can get the big fish to come out west, um, that might shore up their goaltending issues. So some moves being made in the WA ahead of next month's draft, which will be held in Vancouver. So that kind of brings everything around full circle and puts a wrap on all the other lacrosse that I can think of. So let's get you set up one last time for the games in the National Lacrosse League this weekend. There are some big games on tap. And Week 5 gets started Friday when the Vancouver Stealth head to Toontown to take on the rush. That's an 8.30 p.m. Pacific time start in Saskatoon on Friday. And then on Saturday, we have four games. Rochester at Toronto in what should be a fantastic Eastern battle. Buffalo at New England, another fantastic Eastern battle. Colorado and Calgary will renew rivalries as the Roughnecks will look to take the season series in back-to-back weekends if they can win another game over the Colorado Mammoth. And then as mentioned, Georgia will be waiting in Langley for the Stealth to return home from Saskatchewan as they'll take on the Stealth at the Langley Event Center. 10 p.m. Eastern face-off. That too is on Saturday. Don't forget all the games available on NLLTV.com. If you haven't yet, sign up, check it out. Um, And if you're kind of wary, you can just go there right now and just watch all the games, watch a bunch of the highlights and some of the other promotional packages um, and storylines that NLL Productions has done. There's a ton of great content on there. So if you just want to check it out, you can do that. It's for free. But if you want to watch live games, you do got to get off the wallet chip in and buy a subscription of some sort. You can go game by game, you can go by team, or you can buy a whole season pass. Finally, before we go today, um, today is the 24th of January as I record this. The 25th, which is Wednesday, is Bell Let's Talk Day. Um, It's an initiative put on by Bell Canada, which is a major media mogul uh, up north of the border. Um, CTV, TSN, uh, they're all a part of that family. And once a year, they do Bell Let's Talk Day. It's an initiative to help promote and create the discussion of mental awareness um, for mental health issues and mental illnesses. Um, For every time you tweet, talk, text, um, and use the hashtag Bell Let's Talk, Bell will donate five cents to mental health initiatives. It is an incredible, an incredible program that they're doing. Anybody that has listened to my radio show or my podcast since it started, uh, this has been something that I have heavily gotten behind because I, too, deal with depression and mental illness. So please, if you are listening to this, you know somebody um, that deals with mental illness, depression, anxiety, any of those things, my email is always on. My phone is always on. I am always willing to talk to anybody, whether they're having the greatest day or the worst day. The worst thing that we can do is stay silent, and I dealt with it for far too long. Um, my mom likes to call it my Darth Vader or my Dark Vader. When I go into my really deep, depressed states, um, I won't come out of the house. I won't talk to people. I'll stay inside for two, three days at a time. And it took me years to finally be able to open up to people about it, to talk to people about it, to write about it. And by doing all of those things, it has allowed me to feel better about myself. 
and because I have allowed myself to get the help that I needed, I haven't had as many dark days as I have had in the past. I believe that a lot of my symptoms came from multiple concussions from playing sports my whole life. And, and the depression is a part of that. And my mental illness is a part of that. But don't ever feel like you're alone. You always have the ability to talk to somebody. It doesn't have to be your best friend, your husband, your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your parents. It could be anybody. It can be a random stranger. It can be someone on a helpline. It can be a guidance counselor at school. It can be someone in your workplace. But please, if you are ever feeling like you don't have hope, you don't have an outlet, and there's nothing else for you to do, please get in contact with me. I am here for you. And so tomorrow, on the 25th, please help donate to the Bell Let's Talk campaign. Use the hashtag Bell Let's Talk. You'll see it all over Twitter tomorrow and all over Instagram and social medias. It will be blasted everywhere. And I hope you can help end the stigma towards mental illness and mental health. That'll do it for another edition here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Again, thanks to Jordan Hall for stopping by. And as always, thank you to you, the fan, for stopping by and listening to another edition here on NLL Radio and SoundCloud. My name is Teddy Jenner. Email teddy.jenner at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Enjoy the games this weekend, everybody. And remember, be excellent to each other. Now